0: who are listening to SRM, Student Radio Master Company, 107.5 FM. Good evening and thanks for tuning in. This is Student Radio Maastricht on RT 107.5 FM. Thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, my name is Sean, doing the tech tonight. And in the studio I have we have Well, Bridge Europe. And yeah, Vlad is in the studio from the RWTH University in Aachen.
1: Yeah, 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 all this all this weird <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, hello. Glad glad to be back. Um today we have uh a guest um alex leopold uh, he's an american political economist um, with focus on east asia and middle east he's a bridge usa alumnus and a founder of silk road journal i've had alex on uh, the podcast uh, a little more than a year ago and I'm happy to welcome him back hi alex
2: Thank you very much, Vlad, for having me again. I'm excited to have this conversation with you.
1: Oh yeah, just uh, let me know. Did I get your biography right?
2: <laughs> yeah, that was that was perfect. That was perfect. Thank you. Yo, um,
1: yeah, thanks, thanks for joining us. It's um, it's great, great to have you on. I, I still remember. I actually took a listen to the to the podcast we recorded last year. It was uh, I think a few weeks before the war. Started before Russia invaded Ukraine, I I, I kind of noticed this f- interesting point where he actually discussed uh, the Olympics and how China uh, and Russia re- relationship uh, kind of affected the the Russia's uh, strategy on, on on the war and like uh, only a few weeks after the podcast uh, we rec- after after the recording Russia invaded Ukraine. So yeah, that was a very spot on conversation I think. But today we're gonna talk about. Slightly different, different things. So we, I actually wanted you to tell us, um yeah, how how was how was your volunteering? I've heard you volunteered in Poland for a while, and yeah, um,
2: we'll be sure. happy um, to hear. Yeah, I mean, and if I can just add on something to what you said about the last time we were, um you know, in our virtual studio together. I mean, you asked one of the reasons that podcast. I think. People found that helpful is because you ask you ask really good questions and insightful questions in an almost prophetic way that um, foreshadowed things that were that ended up happening in the next several weeks in a very similar way to how you thought that would happen. So you know, so you should give yourself yourself a, a <laughs> lot of credit for that. But Thanks, um, so yeah, so um, I'm calling to you now from from D.C. But um, I was recently um, in Poland for a little bit. Um, because I wanted to try to find a way to volunteer in, in any way that I could um, that would provide some benefit to the situation for Ukrainian refugees, um, either ones that were still in Ukraine or ones that were um, in Poland. So um, I volunteered at the Jewish Community Center in Krakow Um, And despite its name, the Jewish Community Center, or JCC, actually serves um, 95% non-Jews. So it's not something where you have to be Jewish in order to go and and benefit from their services. Um, They cater to all people. um, But right now, obviously, especially refugees. And so, um, you know, I was there pretty much to do whatever they wanted me to do. if they wanted me to, you know, if they wanted me to sweep the floor, I would do that. If they wanted me to, you know, go clean the toilet, I would do that. Um, They didn't ask me to do that, fortunately, But, um, (laughs) you know, I was pretty much just there to to be helpful, um, even though I wasn't, you know, I'm not someone who lives in Krakow, or um, I wasn't able to spend any long stretch of time there. Um, I just wanted to make I just wanted to make some small difference in whatever way I was able to.
1: That's that's amazing commitment, and th- that's a pretty pretty long distance for you to travel to do to do something like that. That's that's incredible. Uh, so what what was that that you were you were doing there, and what uh, what is the main uh, what are the main things that uh, GCC does in Krakow, and uh, how does that affect the the situation?
2: Sure. So. Um, I'll. I think I'll answer your second question first. So in Krakow, the JCC in in non-war time, um, the JCC caters to, like I said before, Jews and non-Jews, um, who are mostly who are in financial need. Um, but obviously, since the start of the war, there there's a huge number of, or there have been a huge number of refugees um, coming from the east, and so. Um, what it has really turned into is a place for Ukrainian refugees. I mean, they every time you try to go in, you have to bring your passport. And they check to make sure they, they need to see that your passport is stamped on or after February 24, mm-hmm. 2022. Um, and as long as it matches that, then they let you go in. And um, basically, it's either a free or very discounted uh, food bank for um, for families. And so each family has, I think, a 10 item limit per week. So they're definitely, it's good that they're not the only source of sustenance for people who need help because the JCC by itself is nowhere near close enough to serve the needs of all needy Polish and Ukrainians living living in Krakow. But um, I saw how big of a difference it was making because I mean, my my shift was 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. every day. I was there, and every single day, there was a long line of people um, who were there since you know hours before I arrived. And when I left, there was still a long line of people. So there's kind of a constant flow of people going in and out, picking out things that they need. Um, and my role within that was um, pretty much just to package. Um, packaged bulk foods so things like sugar and lentils and nuts and beans and rice just from larger um, larger bags into the smaller standardized standard size servings that, um, that the families would eventually pick up from the store which was downstairs I was working right. upstairs in the warehouse um, and a big part of that was actually not just the actual work that I was doing, but the conversations that I had with other volunteers, many of which I didn't even expect to have. I mean, there was a huge breadth of volunteers coming from a lot of different places. There was one woman, um, there were a bunch of people from, uh, from America. There's one woman from, uh, from Spain. And there were also a couple Ukrainians who not only were Ukrainian, but were actually refugees themselves. Um, so, mm. I mean, I, I it made me feel very inadequate. I mean, I'm just, I was just some American coming for a very short s- stretch of time, um, but they've been there for months doing um, a whole lot more work than than I did. In- incredible,
1: incredible. So, so you you mentioned there were quite quite a few people also from from uh, abroad. I uh, I mean, for, for people who have been to Krakow and maybe uh, they 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 do know that. Krakow is, of course, a very uh, modern European city with a lot of people from, from lots of different countries. There, mainly for studies, but also for business and so on. So, what what was the thing that actually has driven these people to join, to join and volunteer and help help these people out? Because for the people who fled Ukraine or are related to Ukraine, you kind of have this, you, you feel this obligation, like myself. To do to do something to volunteer but what about the people like yourself who who actually worked there the uh who came in who came over from from the states or spain or uh wherever the they might have come from
2: sure so um i knew that i was going to be in europe um, around the around the time of december um and i actually looked into volunteering in a lot of places, I looked into volunteering um, in Turkey or in Greece with um, with Syrian refugees or refugees from elsewhere, um, but um, it ended up being logistically and financially much easier to go to Krakow. Um, but what I noticed about people, and I you know I can't speak to everyone's reasoning, but for me, um, I think it's it's important to me, and I think everyone and I, I fail at this a lot, but I try to do it still, um, is to ask myself how I'm actually contributing to something that's valuable to other people rather than just to myself. Um, and so, you know, I, I think I'm lucky just to be even able to do this because I had the financial means to do this. But, I mean, a lot of something that really struck me was that not only a lot of ukrainians were volunteering like i said before but there seems to be a different attitude in Pol in krakow but in poland on a larger scale towards towards the crisis that i didn't really expect to see so everyone is kind of united and maybe this is true over across all of eastern europe but um people are united and there's this civic fabric that i felt when i was there that, I that I quite honestly don't feel when I'm in America. Be- maybe because America is um, geographically removed from from the conflict. Um, but people, I think, I-, I think that people, whether no matter where they're from, can find meaning in their lives based on how much they're how useful they can be to others, um, and. You know, I don't I don't think this is just something I don't think this is just something connected to me. I think this is a universally human experience where. um, Even for a short time, if you actually go into a place, either a physical place or an intellectual place where you're a little bit less comfortable and you make an effort to connect with other people, then you realize things about yourself that you might not have realized otherwise. Um, And so this wasn't my first time volunteering at all, but it was my first time volunteering, um, being so close to a conflict. And I mean, right. even though I wasn't in Ukraine, I could still see the out, I could still see the results of the conflict and the consequences of the conflict every day. Right. Um, and so it gave me a, a certain perspective about how I want to spend my time and, you know, how and what what I can do to bring meaning to my own life. Because I think, Simply sitting there consuming, um, all you have left, you know, when you've lived your whole life, all you have left is what you've actually accomplished and how you've helped others and how you've shaped others. Um, and I, you know, this, this made very clear to me that I, I didn't want to just, um, you know, live for myself because I think that's also just a very lonely way to live.
1: Right. Yeah. Incredible. 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 Uh, I, I I think this 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 thing that is you, that you mentioned about the feeling um, that is in Poland, I think the the this unity and people actually feeling um, like they're affected directly by the conflict, uh, not not in a in a in a small part by by just seeing the the people who just fled, um, sometimes even the immediate wars. and I think yeah there there is some pr- pr- th- 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 this is a very profound feeling I think um where where you feel really really affected but by what is happening in your neighbor neighbor country you feel uh how you see how the people who who fled uh this um this horrible war uh, how, how they are feeling Did you did you have any chance to interact with the people who were coming um to the to the center for for help
2: yes so actually one of my fellow volunteers um was and i believe he's still a volunteer um is a refugee from i think he's actually from he's from the east i don't remember exactly which city he's from um but uh you know he there wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of language overlap between between him and me i mean i i speak zero ukrainian and i speak no there's no slavic language that i have any familiarity with um is Ukraine? Sorry, is Ukrainian even a Slavic language?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ukrainian is a very, very, very much a Slavic language, like Polish okay. and Russian. I just and, want to make
2: uh, sure that yeah. I, I don't. Uh, no, yeah, you got that correctly. Work. That's that's yeah. that's right. Okay. Yeah. So there wasn't a lot of language overlap. Um, I had no Ukrainian. He had no, pretty much no English. Um, so you know, Google Translate was the third wheel in our in our friendship. But um, you know, he he's in this weird situation where, you know, one day he was uh, just going to school and living his normal life. And and then in a very small stretch of time, he had to transform from someone doing that to someone going to school, going to university in Poland, meaning he's learning in Polish. So he's kind of just learning it, not only learning the content that he's studying in university, but also learning a new language at the same time um i'm not really sure how that's possible but he's doing it um and he's spending pretty much all his time that he's not studying at the jcc um and we actually connected over something called shabbat dinner so um you know jewish people on friday night um and from friday at sunset to saturday it's um an hour after sunset observe Um, the Jewish Sabbath, the Jewish day of rest, and that's called Shabbat. And the beginning of Shabbat is always met with um, Shabbat dinner. And that's always meant to be a time to reconnect with your family after a week of being plugged in and connected to the outside world. It's kind of the time to recenter. And I was struck at this Shabbat dinner. I mean, I had a great conversation with, with my friend that I met that I just mentioned, but there were so many people there who weren't Jewish. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm Jewish. I've been Jewish since I, since I grew up. But there's a really interesting trend, not only among this guy that I met, um, who's really interested in Judaism, but in a lot of people just who live in, in Krakow and who've lived there for decades, who are um, perhaps because the JCC is doing so much work, Becoming really interested in Judaism. I mean, there are Polish and Ukrainians now who have zero Jewish background or heritage who are choosing to learn Hebrew choosing to learn Yiddish and actually traveling to Israel Um, And this relationship Simply as a result of the war is being formed that wasn't there before Mm -hmm. And when you think about that in the context of Jewish history in Europe and especially in, in Krakow, I mean when I walk around, when I walked around the Jewish quarter, it's full of empty synagogues because Jews used to live there and they don't anymore. And it's almost like this war, um, despite all of its terrible consequences, has also created an opportunity for Jews to almost reimagine the European past and reconnect with it in a way that they could not have possibly done if Europe and Russia had just continued to exist as they were before February twenty fourth.
1: Right. Uh, yeah that's that's a very interesting interesting view and some some insight I guess that you are quite unlikely to get from from outside. I think being been here in the Netherlands, I guess we don't really see much much of such small small dynamics in uh, in detail. So uh, I think in a in a in a, in a second we'll we'll we can we'll we'll have a chance to explore this a bit deeper. But for now, let's get get it back to to Shaman All easy. right,
0: yeah, thank you very much indeed. Uh, I was going to say I'm also getting a lot of news actually <laughs> while recording these podcasts uh, and and making these radio podcasts. A quick uh, quick reminder to our audience: this is Student Radio Maastricht on RTV 107.5 FM. What you're listening to is Bridge Europe having a conversation. Uh, with Vlad. Um, Vlad, you're in, in the studio of RTVs, from where this episode is being broadcast from.
1: Yeah, and Alex is joining us on WhatsApp.
0: On WhatsApp, yes, exactly. And also many thanks to Moza Musica, because uh, we can use their tracks, on which we uh, which we also have on SoundCloud. And the first one was by DJ Asphere, and this one is with DJ Christian Patkers. Enjoy. Thank you very much for tuning in. This is Student Radio Maastricht on RT 107.5 FM. My name is Sham doing the tech today and in the studio we are very happy to have Glad. Uh, we are very really happy to have Vlad. We're really glad to <laughs> have <right>. Vlad actually. <laughs> yeah yeah hello,
1: hello hello
0: hello uh we have Alex today
1: calling in from Washington DC hey Alex.
2: Do I get a rhyme for my name too? <laughs> 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 Thank you very much
0: Alex for calling in yeah, uh, well, absolutely
2: yeah,
1: yeah. if you if you come come over to the Netherlands sometimes we we might just to come up with a line for you as well um yeah so we were we were talking about your experience in in poland and how um how there are interesting dynamics i think in um uh how people perceive the world and especially how people in eastern europe are kind of getting interested in jewish uh, culture and yeah i would i would like to explore this a bit more it would be nice to talk to you about uh, like what what you feel where where does this come from and uh, how is it perceived um overseas like in the U.S. is it something that is common in the in the states or is it just um eastern central European phenomenon
2: sure well it's um I think maybe it's common in the states to a degree, but nowhere near the same degree that it's happening in um, in Eastern Europe. So, um, you know, I mentioned before that there's obviously th- there's a deep legacy of anti-Semitism all over Europe, but especially Eastern Europe. And there's still a lot of anti-Semitism in Europe. And there's every year there's a net Jewish emigration, I meaning people are moving out of Europe mostly to the u.s or to israel um but there's also a growing trend perhaps as a result of this anti-semitism of people perhaps you know maybe asking themselves um you know it, it's almost like the anti-semitism creates good press for the jews in europe um and people are kind of wondering like you know what is uh you know like they, they have some curiosity which is a great thing about Um, this group of people that seems to want to leave Europe more and more every year. Um, And so, you know, going back to what I mentioned before, the Shabbat dinner on Friday night, um, I met a woman, a Polish woman, who was not even, you know, not even thinking about converting to Judaism. And despite that, she was still interested in it deeply. And I think what makes that interesting is that none of these people, or most of them, they're not learning about Judaism for their own purposes. They're not learning about Judaism because that's what they have to do on their road to eventual conversion. They're devout Christians or they're just completely secular mostly, and they still are interested. Um, and it's, and I and I think one of the positive consequences, even though I'm sure there are a lot more negative consequences of the war is that, it's almost like Eastern Europe is taking a look at its own past, and it's almost like you know the the way that the Russian military has chosen to uh, has chosen to comport itself is reminiscent of um, some ugly parts of Jewish and European history, right. um, and so. You know, that kind of, um, you know, that kind, those kinds of human rights violations and those kinds of crimes, I think, not only make people push back in the sense that Poland and Poland is helping Ukraine literally fight against Russia, but this is also an internal struggle in that the, you know, what in in that um, authoritarian and fascist regimes don't only affect jewish people they don't only affect ukrainians eventually they eventually every every person the the life of every minority individual is going to be affected by fascism at some point in history um and so fighting that doesn't only require using guns it also requires having internal conversations about um about values and especially deep-seated values that we are willing to fight and die for um rather than simply our cold national interest right if that makes sense
1: right i yeah i absolutely agree with that i think um especially if you look at germany for instance who i think is a remarkable example of a country that has done its homework to to large extent the, the the um uh, they have this notion of of, of guilt, obviously, in uh, for 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 the crimes the Nazis committed in the Second World War, and um, uh, I, I and I also see this conversation emerging in Germany, uh, the need for the new so called Ostpolitik. Uh, where where they are actually realizing that they are there is this central and Eastern Europe playing between Germany and Russia and that there are these um sovereign sovereign states that also suffered quite quite a lot throughout history in the struggle between two these two historically big powerful uh countries and empires and uh, I see I see this conversation slowly um, starting obviously the war or, the Russian Ukrainian war is definitely a catalyzer in that. Um, do you see that there is somewhat uh, a certain degree of ignorance in the West, particularly like the further you go? I think the States is the farthest from where from we are now. Um, a certain degree of ignorance um, towards the history and the dynamics and the societal. Kind of structure in the in the Eastern and uh, Central Europe.
2: Yeah, and I want to add that I also see, you know, I, I'm all as, as much as I am as I sometimes feel let down by ignorance that I see. I also feel inspired by a lot of informed activism that I see in the U.S. So it's not a, it's it's not a it's not a black and white situation. But um, there are obviously, you know, there are people living in the United States who call themselves, who, who will tell you that they are on the political left and that, you know, they support a, a liberal world, yet their main policy focus toward the Biden administration right now is, quote-unquote, ending the war in Ukraine by ending support for the Ukrainian military, which... Um, Not that I've, you know, I haven't been to Ukraine, um, but that doesn't make a lot of sense to me because their demands are based on what I think is a ridiculous assumption that if we're just nicer to Putin, then his, you know, then we're just hurting his feelings. We're hurting Putin's feelings. And if we're nicer to him, then we can... Then he'll apologize, and he'll just, uh, you know, and he'll just decide to, and he'll just decide to stop attempting to colonize Ukraine and turning it into Russia. Um, and I think what all these people have in common is that they don't speak Ukrainian and they don't speak Russian. Um, and the world, the West, but especially D.C., unfortunately, is is uh, full of people who become, you know over the over the last year they've become russia experts overnight um you know one day they were just normal people and then a couple weeks later they decided they were russia experts or ukraine experts i mean the same thing is happening with china experts who don't speak chinese experts on the arab world who don't speak arabic um and that all feels a little silly to me and i think what i tend to see is that the more people have actually number one spoken the language and number two traveled or really lived in the region on which they're supposedly experts, then um, the more nuanced and less ideological and extreme their opinions tend to become.
1: Uh, it's it's actually quite ironic. know, I, I I think many of all of our listeners probably don't know that, but uh, Vladimir Zelensky, who is now of course the famous president of, of Ukraine, who's seeing this as a war war here in in Europe, and uh, he actually like the platform he was campaigning on was actually the peace platform, and one of like uh, one of the things he said in the interview prior to his. Um, his election as a president was that uh you just have to stop uh shooting and then the war ends. And then, uh, well, he was basically laughed at and uh yeah now see see where we are now. That's <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I find it quite uh, quite ironic. Yeah, I, I, I think I think we are we are we're lacking quite a lot of this nuanced conversations and I think uh, people are super super fast to call themselves experts in something uh where they just don't have enough expertise in. And like I don't know, Um I wouldn't call myself an expert in anything. Although like I read quite quite a lot of stuff on 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 the media, but this this is just not not enough. Even if you get like a very nuanced view and read a lot of different different opinions, I think it takes a lot more time and research to to really be be able to call to call to be called an expert. Really, I think calling yourself an expert uh, is a pretty narcissistic thing to do
2: if you have to call yourself an expert then you're probably not one
1: (laughs) yeah 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 that's that sounds about right but like uh is it is it generally like i i have a perception that even even here i guess even closer we we're we're not getting something right like um about how how complicated and nuanced the politics in the world is, especially outside of our, um, how should I call it, our liberal democracy bubble?
2: Right. I think people tend to project their own values and their own worldviews onto every situation beyond their physical and intellectual borders. So... You know, it's we use the world, world we use the word worldview um, to mean this is how I view the entire world. But the reality is that um, you know, for for most people, including me, um, you know, I have spent the vast majority of my life, even though not all, but the vast majority of my life, living in um, liberal intellectual bubbles in America. And I'm saying that as someone. Who most people would call liberal, Um, but just because um, you know, just because certain values are upheld in Washington D.C. doesn't mean that people value the same things in Moscow. And I think that one of the reasons that travel is so important is when you the first time you travel or the first time you have a a truly immersive experience where. You're not just part of a tour group, but maybe you have to be by yourself and navigate things by yourself. Um, sometimes it's one moment, and sometimes it happens over a couple weeks. But you realize, um, you know, you realize that you're not the, that all these people that you imagined as like, you know, now now we'll just hold hands and uh, we'll have our kumbaya circle, and <laughs> the whole world will be will be as one. It doesn't work like that um i mean uh even you know even in krakow like i I think i feel i feel right now a lot of affinity for um a lot of affinity for for that city and that place but that doesn't mean that bringing that i can you know that i could simply transplant my life into krakow or that i could take friends that i've been in krakow and have them live in dc and they would just completely perfectly plug in to the culture that exists here and that's not you know that's not a bad thing the national culture is something that I think should be celebrated and preserved and that's totally okay but I think what re- what leads to make-believe ways of thinking is people assuming that everyone else wants to be like them which is not the case
1: Right, right. So we 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 just p- presume is if we if we come to a different country and say like put put our flag there, put our institutions in place, that this place will certain certainly become the second country where we came from.
2: Right, right.
1: And that's that's quite 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 an interesting realization. I think when you when you really like think deeply about that, and you will you will start approaching the the your even e- even your own views will change rapidly because. Uh, you will, you will, I guess, realize that this, that the world is a bit more complex place than you imagined it was. Um, yeah. yeah, I think um, in terms in, in terms of even this this war that we're living through now, um, I, I I think the one one important thing that for 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 me it was that it was so clear. Like I, I myself, as a Ukrainian, I, can, I I really felt that it was so clear where the society was standing at so like you didn't even had to do the referendum or whatever in ukraine like just the reaction of the whole whole society was such that we could actually say okay okay these people really want the freedom and and democracy and they don't definitely want don't want the the tyranny that is like making making the tanks rolling on on their on their soil
2: right not everyone yeah so you're you're completely right i mean not everyone wants that, and it's totally it's totally okay to want that for yourself and to fight for that for yourself. Um, but I think that it's also there's also a um, you need to draw a clear line between fighting for yourself as um, as Ukrainians are doing and assuming that just because um, just because you have something in common with another national cause or just because um you're working together on a specific on a specific venture or effort that doesn't mean that you're the same and um you have to very carefully navigate those differences because i mean i, I noticed this with people who are you know you know all out you know supporting ukraine on instagram like a lot of uh a lot of virtue signaling stuff as well i mean you saw this also with um with the Black Lives Matter protests back in 2020, people would post, people would post black squares on their Instagram profile to show how, to show how much they uh, hated racism. Um, but it, it's kind of, there's a difference between virtue signaling, which is like, you know, painting your nails blue and yellow, or, um, you know, hanging a Ukrainian flag outside dress. And none of, you know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things, but, um, you also need to recognize that um, Ukraine, just like the U.S., just like any other country, has its own issues. And so, I think in the Western imagination, just as there are people living in make-believe land that we just have to be nicer to Putin, and then he'll and then he'll stop. There are also some people living in make-believe that land that you know they imagine Ukraine to be this liberal paradise where there are you know where there are like trans lgbtq plus trans you know trans pride flags hanging everywhere and there's no poverty and everything is perfect um but that's obviously not the case because ukraine is a real country just like every other country all right
1: right i mean we're we're making good progress i think we have been making good good progress the the especially in the the last decade but there is there is always a space space where, where to develop itself in the case i i i and this is obviously true of of every country i guess the basis like this basic idea uh, if we agree on that uh, that's that's a good foundation to go to go from um okay so yeah our our today's episode is called news and views so like we we've been talking a lot on views and i i really wanted to talk about the news for for a bit well We'll do this in a second, but first I'll uh, we'll get it back to Shem.
0: All right. Thank you very much. And by the way, by the way, Alex, you mentioned uh, you didn't have a rhyme. So you have a rhyme here. This one is obviously generated by ChatGPT. I couldn't resist using it. So here we go. DC's distant voice. Alex shares his wisdom's poise. Student Radio masters, global rejoice. I hope you like it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's <was> great. <laughs> thank you, thank you.
0: <laughs> All right, and um, in the meantime, yes, you're listening to Sulin Radio Maastricht on RT on Seven Point Five FM. Uh, we were we are we we're talking about indeed news and views with Bridge Europe, um, with Vlad in the studio and Alex calling in from DC. We're also playing some DJ sets from our partners, Mozart Musica. The one you heard just before this section was by uh, Christian Pachter's and now we will check out a little intro from DJ Undarzo. Enjoy. everything do you fear welcome back those are some amazing 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 beats from dj undarzo thank you very much uh, moza musica for uh, letting us use some of your dj sets In the meantime, we are listening to uh, Student Radio Maastricht uh, and we have Bridge Europe today uh, with Vlad in the studio of RTV. Thank you very much.
1: Hello, hello. Uh, We have uh, Alex joining us, Um, calling in from uh, Washington DC. Uh, Alex is a political economist uh, focusing on um, relations between East Asia and Middle East. Uh, He's a Bridge USA alumnus and founder of a journal, Silk Road Journal and alex is a person who's uh, pretty pretty well well informed about the the uh, issues in the middle middle east and this is what i wanted to talk to you about alex uh we like there there is a lot of media coverage of the current uh, protests uh, in israel and the whole story around the judicial reform uh, and I think, uh, yeah, talking about the Europe's relationship with Judaism and anti-Semitism and, yeah, general perception of of Israel in Europe. I guess it would be interesting to explore. Like, could you can you inform us a bit about like what what's going on there and why why is it important for us to follow?
2: Sure. So um, at the time of recording. Israel is being rocked by large waves of, um, of protests that span a large part of Israel's political spectrum or the political spectrum of Israel's electorate. So these aren't just protests by people on the left. These aren't protests where only one ethnicity um, has an issue with a the policy. These are protests where there are people on, on, the, on the far left um, people who vote for Arab parties, people who vote for Jewish parties, people who vote for people who vote for centrist parties, um, and they're all protesting something called a judicial, the judicial reform bill in Israel. Um, and the bill has um, a variety of different tenets to it, all of which these, all of which the protesters find problematic. Um, but the theme that connects all of them is that it fundamentally eliminates the independence of the judicial branch of Israel's government, the independence of the Supreme Court, which means that it effectively turns Israel's parliament, or it's called the Knesset, into a into a very powerful body that can simply pass laws, including laws that affect the, fu- the most fundamental levels of religious life and of civic life in Israel with a simple majority. And so the Knesset has 120 seats. But if there are 79 sitting members in session, um, you can pass a law with a 40 member majority. So literally a third of the Knesset could vote for a bill and turn that bill into law just by um, just, just, uh, through through the simple process of majority rule. And democracy is obviously ruled by the majority, but there is also a line between democracy and majoritarianism. And what this bill would do would take a majority of uh, a majority of Israel's Knesset, which tends to be right wing, which tends to be religious, and enable that majority to enact, much stricter more conservative and more religious laws that would affect every corner of life in Israel even for people who don't subscribe to the same views
1: right so um, yeah I think I think the independence of the judicial system is one of the of the foundations I think which uh, is in one way of the or the other is present in the, in the architecture basically, every every liberal democracy on the planet, uh, the so-called checks and balances are put in place in some way or another here and there. Um, Israel doesn't have a constitution, does it?
2: It does not. It has, in, in place of a constitution, it has a set of laws called basic laws, which the Supreme Court then uses to determine the viability of, of other laws if it's deciding whether to... Um, uphold them or or strike them down, right?
1: So so the uh, I th- I think the passing of this reform was now paused by the by the pri- Prime Minister Netanyahu after after this severe protests and uh, very very massive protests. I think it was like half half a million people in the streets of Tel Aviv at some point. Uh, but how does it go forward? How how does it look for for, for, for now? Because the process aren't stopping, right?
2: Right. So. The reason um, people seem not to trust the prime minister that he will keep his promise, keep his word to pause the passage of um, of this bill until the summer, is that he is is that Prime Minister Netanyahu has a history of um, making promises both to the electorate and to ministers in his, in his government that he doesn't keep, um, and it's become really clear. Whether or not you agree with the policies that, Prem, that Prime Minister Netanyahu enacts, it's become clear that the main driver of his decision making isn't what's best for Israel; it's what's best for him. Um, and you know, I, and I, I don't say this—I don't say this lightly. I mean, I'm—I'm I'm not someone who tends to align politically or ideologically with his party. Um, at all, honestly, right now, but I think even if you do, there's a deeper concern here that the prime minister is willing to sacrifice all the institutions that undergird Israel's democracy so that he can achieve his political, his short or long-term political aims. So it's putting politics above the stability of the state, above the stability of democracy. Right. Uh-huh. Um, Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, why is it being so like widely discussed in the Western media? Why why is it of um, so why why is the concern so so high?
2: So that's a great question. I think the concern is so high because what makes Israel have such um, have such robust ties to the West, to a lot of countries, but especially the West, is Lies with its huge technological base, especially its high tech base, Um, and so the concern here is not only that Israel is going to have its democracy very deeply and permanently damaged, which the West, um, which the which the West has expressed support for. The West has, you know, a lot of a lot of Western leaders have communicated concern that Israelis that Israeli democracy is at stake. This is also about Israel's viability as a high-tech hub. Um, Israel has long prided itself on being, um, on on giving, on, on being, you know, at least according to Israel, giving um, the most rights to gay people in the Middle East about being this free and open and liberal society. Um, and I, I believe that, truly being a free and open and liberal society is what allows Israel to retain the tech talent that it has. I mean, Israel has a huge, um, Israel has a huge supply chain or really a huge value chain of tech talent that it begins to develop with its students when they're in high school and then continues when they're in the army. I mean, pretty much every Israeli is required to join the army as long as they don't have a medical or religious exemption. Um, and Israelis, A lot of them, first of all, a lot of them join units that are very tech-focused, like a unit called 8200, which focuses on cybersecurity. So they not only get content training, they also get leadership training and business training, not because Israel is trying to make great business leaders, but because a lot of the same leadership and teamwork and communication skills that the army gives Israelis um, are important in the business world as well. And so the fear here is that all of that human capital is actually going to want to leave israel because of it's becoming such a conservative and religious place right. where it's actually no longer nice to live right that makes sense.
1: that's that that's a very interesting point i actually haven't heard my, many many arguments like that before so alex uh, it was very nice to have you very very good insights i think there's there's much new that our listeners could 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 learn uh, from from our talk, it was great talking to you again. Thanks a lot for for coming on.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you so much. Yeah, and I'm also really glad it worked out. Worked out fine. Uh, thanks a lot to RTV Maastricht for letting us use their studios for recording and broadcasting. And yeah, uh, we will. Before we go, we will leave you with this uh, short piece of uh, DJ set. This one is by Doctor Duna. Enjoy. ご視聴ありがとうございました。
2: Thank you.